And Father, we thank you for this time and this opportunity to come before you where we are at in life. Today we're going to open the word of God and we're going to continue our study, our series on Jonah. Let us, be, let us be open to you speaking to us. Let us learn how important it is that we rely on you for our salvation. May we trust in you with our very lives. Our lives are but a drop in the ocean of eternity, but we are humbled by this. May we be in awe and wonder of who you are. Lord, we cannot do it without you. A life with you, without you is no life at all. A life without you is empty, it's meaningless and futile. And we wish to have a life with you. You knew us before we were born. You made us in your image and you loved us first. You gave us your son so that we can have life everlasting through faith in Jesus Christ. May we be open to hear, to understand, and to apply your word here today. Lead us and guide us as you always have to have that relationship with you, to grow in you, and to go and make a difference in your name. We say this in Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, good morning, Ontario. It's great to be with all of you this morning. My name is Patrick Daly, and I have the privilege to serve as the pastor here at Ontario Community Church. Before we're going into our passage of Jonah chapter 1, verses 11 through 16. Before we do that, you know, there's something that's always been on my mind as a Christian, and even before being a Christian. It's how God works in wonderful and mysterious ways. Some of us have a testimony that we share. Some of us have a story, or we may know someone who God has worked in some incredible capacity or incredible way. Other stories, well, these stories stick out. They testify for the power of who God is. What is your story? What is the story of how you came to know the Lord? Each and every one of us have a story. No matter how significant or insignificant we may think it is, it is important. It is your story. And ask yourself, have you recently shared in your testimony on how you came to know the Lord? Today I'd like to open with a question here. And it's the question of, do you know about God or do you know God? You see, there's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Every single one of us, we have a story that we can sh share. We can reach and speak to different people, to different personalities and different situations. Every person that we sit next to has a story. And how you share that story with someone, may it may speak to someone. I can't speak to everyone, but certainly your story can speak to someone. That's the beauty of our testimony. And this takes us into the story of where we are in Jonah. 
And today we are going to learn about the sailor's conversion story. And I'm titling this sermon, Storms and Surrender. It's a conversion story. So this, we have been going over Jonah, right? We've gone over how God called Jonah and Jonah fled. He was fleeing to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. During this series, we've gone over how God called Jonah, right? Jonah fled. He's, he, God hurls the storm in the efforts of Jonah running away. The sailors pray to their God and the captain rebukes him. And last week, we learned about how the sailors learned about who Jonah is and the God that he worships. The sailors began to have respect and reverence the fear of the Lord. And that leads us today where we are at Jonah chapter 1, verse 11 through 16. If you turn to page 920 in your Bibles, or if you're not using the ESV Pew Bible, it's Jonah chapter 1, verse 11 through 16. So page 920, go ahead and turn there with me. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew and grew. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men, they rowed hard to get back to dry land. What? What just happened? He just told them, but they keep rowing. What, what just happened there, right? To get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more. Temp- they grew harder right against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from the raging. Then the men feared the Lord a little bit. No, they feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These are the verses. We start off these verses knowing that the sailors began to fear God. They began to have this sense of reverence, this sense of awe and wonder for who God is. They recognized that they need God. And boy, oh boy, don't we all need God. This is the part where the sailors, they are wondering, what can we do to be saved? Okay, Jonah, you have revealed who you are and the God that you worship. So what can I do about this? Let us not forget that once this question is asked, we find that the storm is increasingly, it is getting worse and worse. The time is now to make a decision. The time is now to act. There is some pretty descriptive language to use, and and there's not much more time. It's interesting that Jonah says that I know why the storm's happening. He knows exactly what's going on. And the sailors, they want to know, how do I get out of here? What must I do to get out of the storm? What an interesting response that you need to throw me into the sea so that the storm will stop. Well, if we go to verse 13, we find that it it says, what does it say? It says that the men threw Jonah into the sea and then the storm calmed down, right? Is that what it says? No, what does it say? It says that 
Okay, Jonah's saying you need to throw me into the sea and the storm is going to stop. And they keep rowing. Well, wait a minute. You just wanted, you were asking the question, what must I do for this storm to stop? But they keep rowing. It says the word in scripture, nevertheless. And that word is used, it can be, Jonah told them, but they kept rowing on. Jonah told them what needs to happen, and they decided to keep going their own way. Or you can think of it as, so then they decided to go their other way. And when you read through this in your Bibles, you cannot help but think of the question, okay, the storm is getting worse, and Jonah is telling us what we need to do, so why are they rowing harder when they were just told what they need to do? It's very interesting. I think sometimes the word of God is funny. It just shows us instead of listening to Jonah and throwing him into the sea, they decide to take it upon themselves and try to get to dry land on their own. My goodness, doesn't this sound familiar? Doesn't this sound like our own lives when we try to row harder? Let me tell you something. If a storm is getting worse, or if there, let's say there's a tornado that's going on and you see it on the news. You, see, you guys have seen those uh, tornado chasers before? Now, those people have got some thick skin, right? Those people are pretty borderline courageous and crazy. I don't know, but it's somewhere walking the fine line. If you see a tornado, do you go towards it? I sure hope not, right? I sure hope you don't go towards it. If there's an earthquake... Are you going to go into a tall skyscraper? Absolutely not. If there's a storm that's approaching, you normally want to get away from the storm or seek shelter or something, but these sailors are not doing that. In fact, the verse says that they are digging in. And I think that's a very interesting word. I want to bring up that next slide here that says to dig in, and this is going to be in your notes. It means to dig in or to row. What's interesting about that choice of words, right? When they're rowing harder, it's the word dig in, which is actually used eight times in the Old Testament. And every time that verse, that wording is used, there is physical labor, or in this case, in your notes, physical effort and spiritual truth here. For example, we're not going to open our Bibles. I put it in your notes here for you to reference is that in Job chapter 24, it's about feeling guilty in the morning after doing wrong at night, right? So they're physically breaking into someone's house, but they feel guilt and shame after it, right? The physical labor and the spiritual reaping, if you will. In Jonah, right, we see that the sailors are fighting against the storm physically, right? They're fighting against that storm, but they're learning It's their struggle against God. That's what we, as uh, Bible believers, as Christians, or even as anyone who picks up a Bible, can learn. In Amos chapter 9, verse 2, it teaches us that we cannot physically run away from the Lord. We can't hide that. It emphasizes that we cannot escape God's presence and God's judgment. And Ezekiel, the word is shown up, the same word, to dig in or to row hard right, against the sea. Ezekiel is talking about uncovering the hidden sins of Israel. It's shown symbolically, it's showing physically digging to uncover evil. 
So there's kind of like this connection here with the physical labor and the spiritual truth that's uncovered. It reveals the spiritual truth such as the exposure of sin, the struggle against God's power, the inability to escape God's presence, and the consequences that lead into exile is found in those later Ezekiel passages. So the sailors pray to not their gods, but they pray to the Lord. They're putting their hands together, if it, as it were. They're calling out to the Lord and they're praying to him. And this is the part where the sailors are proclaiming. They're calling out. Remember, for those of us who have been here before, we've, I've mentioned the idea of calling out to God versus crying to their gods, right? The sailors previously were crying to their gods for help. They're saying, help me. I'm struggling. Now they are proclaiming. They are calling upon the Lord in the same way that God wants Jonah to proclaim to the city of Nineveh. I find it very interesting that the same word is used in this case. They are calling upon the one true God, the God that we believe in. The sailors pray their prayer. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago where there's a connection between the gospel of Mark and the story of Jonah. I mentioned the sea stories. The disciples say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. It's almost the exact wording. O Lord, let us not perish, and save us, Lord, we are perishing. It's the same language that's being used between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I find that very interesting. In both instances, the sailors and the disciples, they're calling out to the Lord that they do not perish. And it's just, I love how in the word of God, there's that interconnectionness. And this leads us to another point. So I'd, I'd like to make clear that when we call out to Jesus, Jesus saves us. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 14, right? They called out to the Lord, right? We were just going over that verse. In Psalm 69, save me, O God. This is in your notes. The waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the waters sweep over me. In all of these passages, we see that it is the calling out to God and that our Lord God saves us when we call upon him. We are calling upon him. How often do we call upon the name of Jesus Christ to save us when we are in trouble? I hope that we all do in those times of crisis or in those critical times. The language may be different, but the exact wording is not there. But the sailors are calling out to God. So they end up what? Do they keep Jonah there on the boat longer? Or do they eventually throw him out? They throw him out into the sea, right? And then what happens? The storm continues, right? No, eventually it says here that the storm calms. They give their life to God. This is the part where the sailors, they make sacrifices. The sailors do not wish to perish, so they call upon the Lord. It is at this moment where they are saying, Lord, have it done as it pleased you. It is they're, they're basically saying, Lord, have it your way. This is the sailors surrendering to the Lord. I don't think they had much of a choice, if you ask me. But sometimes we need to be in a storm like that to realize that our God is here with us. This is part of submission. 
It is the part of letting go and allowing for God to be in your life. It is recognizing that God is in control and he will have his way. There are many verses in your notes here. Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 135, verse 6, it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. These are verses that are referring to that God is going to have his way. He's going to do what he has to do. They picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea. This is where the sailors, they feared the Lord. The storm had calmed and the sailors were saved, both from the literal storm and from the spiritual storm of not knowing the Lord. And this, we can't help but think about us for a moment here. This is a story that we can take away, we can learn from, and we can also realize how similar is our life to these sailors? Do we identify with them? This story is a conversion story, and I believe that many of us can relate to the sailors. Do you know the Lord, or do you just know about the Lord? There's a difference between head knowledge, right? I, I may know who, I may know about Tom Cruise, but do I actually know Tom Cruise? I, I may know about Beyonce, and you know, I, let's say read about her in the tabloids or whatever, but do I actually know her? You see, there's a difference between knowing of or knowing about somebody compared to actually knowing somebody and having that intimate, deeper relationship. Many people in churches throughout the world, they know about God from reading scripture, right? We can have that deeper relationship with Christ by opening our Bibles and turning through the pages of God's word. We can see how the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. We can learn about how Jesus' ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his miracles that he performed. I don't know about you, I'd love to see Christ when he walked on water. I would love to see the feeding of the 5,000. I would love to see someone who's deaf be healed to hear again. That would be incredible. And we hear stories about this. We hear about the stories in the Word of God. Some of us know about God from hearing testimonies of other people. But again, knowing about someone is different than actually knowing someone. Do you actually know the Lord? Do you have that relationship with Him? Do you know Him personally? It's the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Knowing God personally is making the decision to have Christ at the center of your life. It is recognizing the power and the might of who God is. It is realizing, it is that sense of awe and wonder. I love how the Old Testament uses the fear of the Lord to be in awe and wonder. If you look at the stars in the sky on a clear night, and you see all the countless stars, and you're like, just making one star would be difficult enough. I mean, yeah, we have technology, but we can't make a star, let alone millions of them. Or think of the microscopic organisms from the, the deepest parts of the sea. They're quite ugly creatures, if you ask me, but still part of God's creation. Can we build a mountain like Mount Everest? I don't, no, we can't. 
But the thing is, it is being in awe and wonder of who God is. Knowing the Lord Jesus is choosing to have Christ in your heart by believing in him. It is through faith. Many of us in this life crave for something more than the superficial, the shallowness. There's a lot of shallowness in our culture. A lot of us crave depth, to be a part of something bigger. And I got to tell you, to know God, to be a part of the family of God, to be a child of the Lord, to be a part of the body of Christ, that is where we find purpose. That is where we find life. That is where we find truth. When we seek God, we are seeking to know and to be known by God. This is a part of how we love God, by seeking him. In your notes here, I put that to know God is to be known by God. There's many versions. uh, Galatians 4.9. Now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back on to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of this world? In other words, the shallowness or the superficial things of this earth. Right? It's like how some people make their entire life and they build it upon their occupation. Or they, I don't know, they just find some little thing that's, they seek the created but not the creator. We worship the creator the living God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. That is why we should know the Lord and not know about the Lord. Or I know Jesus. He's a cool guy. He's a great teacher. How many of us know someone who says things like that, right? Jesus is a good teacher. Well, yes, that's true. Jesus Christ is a great teacher. Or some of us say, oh, yeah, Jesus was a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool hippie. He had long hair. He, you know, he's just walking with his sandals. There's so much more to Jesus Christ than a man with long hair wearing sandals. We're talking about the Savior of humanity, We're talking about someone who gave salvation through his death, his burial, his resurrection. The fact that he fulfilled so many prophecies that we find and discover in the Old Testament. Christ is a great teacher, but he's so much more than that. That's actually how we can reach out to other people in conversations, in relationships. When someone says, Jesus is a great teacher, that's an invitation to speak to that that Christ is more than just the great teacher. He's the savior of humanity. So what can we conclude here? What can we take away? What in the world does all of this mean to us? Well, there's so much parallel. There's so much connection that we can find in the word of God. Salvation in the storms of life. I'd like to show you, there's going to be a few slides here. I want to show you. Number one, The storm is life without God. The storm in Jonah's story, it symbolizes the storm that we face in a life without God. You see, Jonah was running away and God hurled the storm. And in the same way, when we live a life without God, there is a storm that is there 
that needs to be calmed, Jesus Christ gives us peace. He gives us new life. And that storm, that spiritual storm in this case, is gone. A life without God is a life lost, almost like a life lost at sea with this storm. We are all lost without Christ, but it's like that famous song, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now can see. The second one is Jonah's message is the gospel message. Jonah speaking to the sailor represents the gospel message shared with those who do not believe yet. There's many verses. We don't have time to go through all of the verses, but those verses in your notes is for you to read and study yourself. When Jonah is saying, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, That is no different than us sharing, I am a Christian and I worship Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. It's just sharing your faith. It gives us a framework like I mentioned last week. The third one is question and answer, which is seeking and finding Christ. The sailors are asking Jonah for a solution and Jonah responds. It's much like how if a someone who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't know the Lord, says, how do I come to salvation? How how do I come to know the Lord? What must I do to be saved? Well, we must respond by speaking to them and pointing them to Christ. Now, this next one is the sailor's struggle is our struggle. Now, this is a little more difficult. Because when you read that on the surface, you're like, what in the world? I'm not rowing harder on a boat. What what do you mean by that? The sailors' failed attempt to save themselves by rowing harder are much like our own efforts to live this life without the Lord. I am reminded, this is in your notes, about um, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your head. No. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. What's so interesting is that God is the firm foundation in which we build our lives, right? Like the wise man who builds his house upon the stone, right? When we are leaning on our own understanding, it's like we're building a wall, a nice fancy wall instead of a firm foundation in in the Lord. It's just a very interesting how the language is like that. So the sailors are trying so hard to what? do it on their own. They are fighting the storm, right? Can you really fight? Can you row upstream, my friends? Can you do it? I mean, I guess you could kind of do it for a little bit, but at the end of the day, the current will take you down further down the river. That is like when we are trying, when we attempt, or we think that we can go against the Lord our God. Our efforts, well... It's not going to work. And that's unfortunately what the sailors had to learn. But maybe it's not so unfortunate because it shows us in Scripture later, we learn they couldn't do it on their own. So do you really think you can? (laughs) Let's think about that. We can't do it on our own. The next slide is crying out to God. It represents our need for God. Like the sailors We need to realize we need to come to God for salvation. 
When the sailors, like I said, they're rowing harder and harder, eventually there comes a point where they get it. They're like, oh, it's not working. I can't do this. I need God instead. Because when they turn to God, the, the, the calm sea happens. Much like in our own lives. When we turn to God, that storm is no longer. Jonah overboard is a representation of Christ's sacrifice. Now this is very interesting. The sailors throwing Jonah into the sea, it is a foreshadowing of Christ's sacrifice on the cross to calm the storms in our lives, right? There was a command by, from Jonah to throw out Jonah, right, if you will. But think of it like this. Think of you need to get rid of your own way so that you can receive salvation. You need to throw out your pride. You need to throw out this old belief. In other words, in more simplistic terms, you need to turn to Jesus instead of trying to do it on your own. It's just a nice little representation here. Perhaps it can mean turning away from your sin as well. Throwing the sin overboard, if you will. Now, mind you, we're all sinners. We need to turn to Christ first and foremost. But we do need to turn from our sin as well. The next one is the calm sea and peace in Christ. The calming of the storm symbolizes the peace and security that we find in accepting Christ. Do you realize that by accepting Christ, your life will no longer be the same? Do you realize that God is going to mold you? He is going to form you? He is going to lead you on a path of righteousness? All you need to do is follow his will and his way and continue with following in his footsteps. And that final one is prayers and sacrifices which equals living for God. They cried out to God and they threw out Jonah. All right, I'm good. I confessed to the Lord and, you know, I, uh, I asked for repentance. I'm good. I, I don't need to do anything anymore. No. You make a decision for Christ. You accept Jesus into your heart. You then live for Christ. You are on a path of righteous living, exhibiting Christ's likeness to others. You go on a walk with the Lord. So it doesn't say in the verse, like, oh, they threw out Jonah and wiped their hands clean, they're on their way. It's saying they lived for the Lord because that is part of our story. When you make a decision for Christ, that's the most important step. But you know what's after that step? Is living for God. It is sharing in the word of God with others. It is sharing your testimony. It is praying for others. It is inviting people. It's inviting people to church. It, it, it's inviting them. How can I pray for you? How can I be present with you? You know, that's, I think that's one thing that gets missed often. The most important thing for us to do is to make a decision for Christ. That's, we can't argue with that. But certainly, 
we need to live for the Lord. Not just take advantage of God by, by seeing that the storm has come. Okay, well, I'm good. I'm going to row after the fact. No, did you not just learn? Turning your life around for God means living for him. And I just want to make that point very clear because, you know, you have this image here of people, ideally, they're in the mountains or whatever, praying to the Lord, but the sailors' prayers and sacrifices, it represents our commitment to live for God once we are saved. I want to say this, and I want you guys to remember this. We are saved by faith, right? We are not saved by works. We are saved for works. We don't want to get that order wrong. Because so often in other religions, if you will, it's about doing the good works first, and then you'll get saved. But when Jesus died on the cross, because he saved you, wouldn't you want to do things because of that salvation? Does that make sense? There's, there's, a, much, there's a difference, and, and unfortunately, people get into that habit of saying, well, you need to do more, you need to do more. Certainly, do good in the world, by all means. But first, seek Christ. Make that decision, have that relationship. We can come closer to God to know him, right? We can pray to the Lord. We can read scripture. We can study it. We can experience nature. We, we can give our time and our talent and treasure as well. But the most important thing is deciding to have Christ at the center of your life, receiving the gift of salvation, accepting Jesus Christ into your life. That is the most important decision. And by all means, because of that salvation, go out into the world and do good. I think of the famous James passage, which always gets, a lot of people get, argue over it. It's faith without works is dead. Certainly we are saved and we should go out and do because of the faith. So my friends, as we've gone through this critical part of the story of the sailor's conversion, we can see ourselves in a similar way. Aren't we going to face many storms in life? Sometimes it's by our own doing. Sometimes it just happens. Will you be open to hearing the good news of the gospel? Will you cry out to Jesus? Will you call upon his name asking that you do not perish but have everlasting life? And for those of you that know the Lord, are you going to share in your faith with your neighbor, with your friends, with your family, with the people that you interact with? May you come to know God. May you come to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. May you grow closer to God, whose way is higher. God's way is much simpler than man's. God's way is holier, and God's way is good. It is not enough to simply have head knowledge about God. Yeah, I know God. He's a cool guy. It's much more than that. He's a cool guy. Oh, he's a cool guy. He's a very cool guy, buddy, but it's so much more than that. We must know the Lord personally. We do this by having this relationship with Jesus Christ and by submitting to Christ. Come as you are to the table, but let God work in and through you. Let me repeat myself here. We invite people as they are, wherever they are at in life, and we 
ask that God transforms them from the inside out. Let God work on them. You never know where you're at in your spiritual walk or your spiritual life. Well, where you're at in life, period. Come to the Lord. Come to the table and let God work in you. God transforms us. He gives us purpose in in this life. He provides salvation. Just as we took communion today, we remember Jesus Christ for what he did. May we never forget Jesus Christ. May we remember him. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 says, If anyone loves God, he is known by God. And it's my prayer today, my friends, that you all come to know God. May you be known by God. And the closing slide that I have for you, it's the same question we opened with. Do you know about God or do you know God? Do you only have the head knowledge of God or do you have the heart knowledge? Let's pray. Father, we unpacked a lot today. May we come to understand that yours, you are the true God. You are the sovereign God over all creation. You made each and every one of us in your image. And we've gone over the very idea that we cannot do things, we cannot do this life without you. We can row against the storms, we can row against your way, we can fight it all day long, but at the end of the day, we need you. May we come to know you. May we seek you. May we draw near to you. May we have that relationship with you. And in so doing, may we grow in Christ. May we be encouraged to study your word and pray for others and be present. Let us all come to know you. You are a good God. You are a holy God. You are not an evil God. In fact, your way is far better than any man can create. We thank you and we praise you. And as we are doing our closing song today, we just ask that we, we come closer to you. Today, we love you. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.